Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I am your host. My name is Steve, and please say hello to my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hey, Kyle, you may want to say that again. It went kind of weird. It almost sounded like Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was like Darth Vader like saying it into a fan. It was odd. But anyway, uh, so this week we are going to be armchair booking the pay-per-view from 1991, from December 3rd, 1991, for this Tuesday in Texas. This followed the Survivor Series from 1991, where The Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan for the world title, and the one where there wasn't actually no, there wasn't anything with Jake the Snake and Randy, but they were discussing it on that uh, particular pay-per-view because Jake supposedly was not allowed to enter the match for that for the Survivor Series, and Randy was not reinstated just yet. But Randy, on this pay-per-view here, the this Tuesday in Texas, he's wanting to get revenge on Jake for not only ruining his wedding, but then also letting the snake bite him. So that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. Before we do, I just want to give our contact and listening information to everyone. If you want to call in during the broadcast, the phone number is area code 319-527-6089. If you want to hit us up on email, the email address is armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We're on Twitter at bookingarmchair which I will have to say, we've actually gathered up quite a few followers over the last couple of weeks, Kyle. Uh, and if you want to listen to us and listen to our archives, you can go to iHeartRadio. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Spotify. Have I missed anything, Kyle? No, as far as our contact information, besides the call-in number, I think you've covered everything. Oh, I got the call-in number. That was the very first thing I mentioned. I'll mention it again, 319-527-6089. And before we carry on, this is actually something that's going to be a little different, but I certainly don't mind doing it. I know, Kyle, you don't mind this either. Uh, I do have to give kind of a shout-out to someone. I saw a wrestling event, not this uh, past Saturday, but the Saturday before. It was through the Northern Wrestling Federation, who are based in Cincinnati. And one of the very first matches was a female wrestler named Selena Dean. And Selena Dean, actually, uh, we follow each other now on Twitter, through, well, through the armchair booking, or the booking armchair account. And Selena Dean's mom has breast cancer. And unfortunately, the treatments are a little costly, and they do not have enough money to cover them right now. And so uh, Selena has actually set up a GoFundMe for her mom. And that GoFundMe, you can actually find that, GoFundMe.com, and then F, and then the best mom fund fu cancer if you do a search for that you can find it you can uh do a search through uh where you look for the words donna's chemo fund or you can go to the armchair booking podcast page or podcast twitter page or you can go to the page on facebook and if you know me personally you can also find it on my personal twitter and my personal facebook and we got they are halfway to their goal of two thousand dollars looks like right now they have about a thousand forty and we, you know, just please help out any way you can to try to help them reach this goal and, and help her mom beat this disease. And we thank you for that. 
So, yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. Having a stepmom who fought breast cancer three times before she passed away from it, do encourage all our listeners to support this this treatment. It is very expensive. You have a wrestler who's living her dream and trying to make it in the industry. They don't make a lot when they start off. So if you appreciate indie wrestling like we do, support Selena Dean and her, her mother during this trying time. Yep, and she was a very good wrestler, Kyle. I, mean, I hate that you missed that show, and I hate that I didn't record that match. But they will they will have another match the next time they are in the big busting metropolis of Mount Orb. It's going to be a triple threat match, and she's going to be involved. And so maybe I can catch that and record it and send it to you, or you could travel out here, but even it'll probably be best if I just record it because I think the whole country's about to go in lockdown. But... So, you want us, Steve? Again? Don't wish that bad juju on us. I'm not. Steve. I'm not wishing. I'm just being realistic. I don't want it to happen because we are going to Disney next month and Universal. Lockdown next month, maybe January 21st. Maybe. We're not going to say anything. It'll happen on the date, but we'll just we'll leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, so. This Tuesday in Texas, Al, did you get a chance to rewatch these matches? I did, and you know, for the first time, we're reviewing a pay-per-view or a wrestling event. I really don't think they could have changed this to make this any better than it was. This oh, was this was nineteen nineties, ninety one. This was wrestling. This was the end are nearing the end of the Hogan era uh, of the WWF. You start to see this on this card, especially. Uh, We've already discussed the Survivor Series that year and Ric Flair interfering in that match. This, This card, first of its kind, what do you think, Steve, about having wrestling on Tuesday night? a pay-per-view event. I thought it's kind of a strange idea. I mean, I get where they were going with it. You know, maybe we can give them something other than a Sunday night because a lot of times Sunday nights, people are busy. However, you know, this one had a very disappointing buy rate, like a one buy rate. But I think part of that, me personally, my opinion, you know, and this has nothing to do with Bruce Pritchard because he may think the same thing. I don't know. But if this was the Tuesday right after Thanksgiving of 1991, which probably was because that's when Survivor Series was series uh, was was on the Thanksgiving, and that particular Survivor Series, I think I told you, I actually watched that one live. At, it was at somebody's house, and our mutual friend Alan, you remember Alan? He was my best yep. man. Yep, he was my best man at my wedding. You were one of my girlfriends at the wedding. Everybody had fun. It was a good time because we were all in the Air Force and we were all not in anywhere close to our bases at the time. <laughs> but, nope. um, but Alan and I, we were at one of his dad's friend's house or something. Don't even remember how we ended up there. And when I looked at the date, this was actually on a Wednesday. 
So I'm thinking this was the Wednesday, like the day before Thanksgiving in 1981. And we watched it live because this particular friend, they had a satellite dish. You know, one of the big, we talked about it before, the big honking satellite dishes. And we enjoyed it. And then when Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan, I was still kind of a Hulk Hogan market at the time, but I was—I had also just turned 18 not long before that, so I was kind of getting away from liking Hogan. He was really getting on my nerves. And I liked this character that of The Undertaker. And so I liked the outcome and the Undertaker character itself would kind of appeal to me because I was that kid that was always wearing black at the time. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I was, Oh, I was a big time metalhead, you know, so something like the Undertaker definitely appealed to me. And just seeing that. And then the other matches that were on the card as well, I still remember those. And how Flair actually, he was the only survivor in his Survivor Series match that he was involved in. And they were really setting Flair up. Um, even though, as a wrestling fan, just an overall wrestling fan at the time and growing up you know, before that, they can, you know, with the thought of Flair and Hogan finally going against each other and Flair going through the WWF and they put them in matches, but they didn't draw. And they said, well, we're not going to do that. Like, well, because you put them in matches up in the Northeast where they really didn't know Flair that well unless they happened to watch TBS. If you had to put them somewhere else other than the Northeast, yeah, it probably would have drawn. But and the, the hard thing, you bring in Flair with the world title and Bobby Heenan, in September, and that's not going to drag on to WrestleMania, even in 91. No. That September to April, like if they would have had the match at Survivor Series, it would have blew up. It, it, or if they would have started something, well, Hogan would have had to have been also on a team at Survivor Series, but nobody wanted to see the world champion not defend the title. Makes sense? Oh, without question. And, and of course, um, you you have Mr. Perfect, you have Bobby Heenan. It would have been interesting if Arn and Tully had stayed around, but they had gone back or tried to go back to WCW then. Uh, a missed opportunity with Flair and the Horsemen to really, he was a star to reach the level he could have been with his wrestling ability. They could have put him in a stable and it would have, it would have been awesome. But even though, like you said, the, the program with Flair and Hogan would not have lasted from September all the way to late March, early April for WrestleMania, I still think they actually did a pretty decent job of the Flair real-world champion uh, storyline carrying from September through January with the Royal Rumble, and that includes the happenings at the Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas. 
because just the way they set that up, first with Flair sliding the chair in so the Undertaker could drop the tombstone on Hulk, you know, on the chair and then take the title. Now, if you watch that, you know, Hogan's head never came close to hitting the chair, but he's claiming that, oh, my neck, oh, my And Undertaker's wanted to beat him up for real because of that. But anyway. And the the hard thing is for this is to take the the time period into context. So we're looking at this through 2020 lenses, and – it's 1991. Hogan was still invincible in 1991. How, how many matches had he lost? Like, we talked about how many matches Hulk, Hulk Hogan actually lost. But at that point, he lost to Andre the Giant via suspicious circumstances. Yeah, the referee with the facelift. The the double head nurse. <laughs> You had the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania six, where he kicked out at three and a quarter to to make it look like it was fluky. And you had some count out losses with the genius being one of them, but Hogan didn't lose and put anyone over cleanly at this point, like. Can you really name a circumstance? So they had to have shenanigans to to say Hogan was going to lose. Well, yeah, I mean they're going to have that anyway because of the Undertaker being a heel and Ric Flair also, of course, being a heel. And he's going to help the Undertaker take the title from Hogan. That's why he slid the chair in there. But it's been years later when. I guess Hogan did complain about it, and he said, oh, you know, Mark hurt my neck. And, you know, even years later, him saying, oh, he hurt my neck, and then they looked at her like, your head was about six inches above the the mat or the chair. Didn't even come contact. And he's, oh, my neck. No, he he protected him with the tombstone, and you got to give the Undertaker credit. 30 years, can you name a wrestler he legitimately hurt with the tombstone. Yeah, you're a prior, Coco Beware. <laughs> the, very, the very first time he was at Survivor Series. But it was not. It was an accident. And if you watch the WrestleMania from uh, 1991, actually, uh, WrestleMania 7 from Los Angeles, when he hit Snooker with the tombstone, I mean, he came down pretty hard on the back of Snooker's neck. But that was pretty early on him using the tombstone. And since then, I mean, obviously – he's done a pretty good job of protecting other wrestlers because he is one of the few. I think Kane is the only other one. They are the only ones who are actually allowed to even use the tombstone in the WWE now. Know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, but besides that, I mean, yeah, he always looked to protect him because the Undertaker or Mark Calloway, you know, he's a professional through and through. He didn't mind putting people over, you know, especially when it made sense. Yeah, he did what was best for business. So, yep. And that includes, you know, and he was, you got to think, he was, what, 24, 25 for this pay-per-view? I mean, he was still pretty young. And 
you know, and they were, uh, of course, the last match on the card, as they should be. You know, the the world uh, title match should always be the last match on the card, if you ask me. With, obviously, there's you could have some circumstances to where another match could be the, the main event. And I get that. But this particular card, and you wouldn't realize how many dark matches they had on the card until you actually went to the Wikipedia page. They had nine dark matches. But I don't even want to get into them because I've never watched them. And it's kind of irritating to think they had nine dark matches on the pay-per-view. But I do want to talk about the five matches that they had that they still show on the network. Because out of the five matches, four of them are pretty solid, and one is kind of, well, you know, the first match that they showed was Bret Hart, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, defending his title against Skinner. Looking back, Skinner was not the the greatest wrestler or even character, but this match actually turned out to be really good for Brett, one of Brett's first defenses. And you know, I actually um, made some notes because I'm becoming a professional like that. And actually, I only made one note for this one. I said, decent opener showed skills of both. Because Skinner, I mean, that's Steve Kern. He was one of the fabulous ones. And then later on, he was one of the many faces of Doink. And very good wrestler. Very dependable. As they always say, you know, he's a good hand. Which was just not a fan of this character at, at the time. Not... But Bret, Bret Hart's reign as Intercontinental Champion, he he was pretty impressive. And, and they really made each other look good. Yep. And, yes, you know, so, I mean, I, I think it was a good... Uh, even though a, a, if you were live there in the audience watching, it wasn't the opening match. But as far as the pay-per-view itself was concerned, it was a very good opening match, and it really set the pace. But the the second match I, I've been looking forward to all week. So, so I'm itching because the most famous moment in WWF superstar history occurred and set up this match the weekend before. This so, so when the snake Jake set the snake on Randy's arm. And then couldn't get it off. That that snake bite was the wildest thing to see on regular television for quite some time. And, you know, I'm thinking you couldn't do that now. I mean, this is less than 30. Well, it's might as well say it's 30 years later. You couldn't do that now. You couldn't have a, a, a actual snake bite somebody right there in their arm. No. And, you know, the snake, he, even when you watch it, the snake, he's just, he's just gnawing away. You know, he's thinking it's Christmas. He's like, look at here. It's the biggest rat I ever had. He made this snake mad, Randy Savage. But that, that's what set up the undercard. And the reason why we got it, it 
was not to watch the Undertaker Hulk Hogan. It was to watch the Macho Man come out of retirement or his forced retirement because he lost to the Undertaker. Uh, not the Undertaker, the Ultimate Warrior started right. with the U. <laughs> but <laughs> he he is coming out of his retirement to get his revenge for this snake bite. And something you see immediately in this match was the tape covering the wound on Randy Savage's arm and something that's lacking in today's product. And it's a word called continuity. Yes. Thank you. So the bandage was on the proper arm. One. And he, even though it was probably filmed a month ahead of time, thing that happened over the weekend continues into the Tuesday pay-per-view. Well, they put a lot of thought into it back then. Because, I mean, you've pointed it out for today's times, the 50-50 booking, where they hot-shot everything. They'll have an angle. It, it's almost like every month has its own angle because every month has its own pay-per-view. We're going to push it just for this pay-per-view, and then, all right, next, move on. And they don't have the angles carry over. They don't have feuds carry over for a year, sometimes more, more than that. Because back in the day, I mean, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and then Dusty and the, the Full Horsemen, how long did they feud? Two years? Oh, three years? It, they feuded on and off forever. Did anybody get tired of it? No. Everybody still wanted to see it because it was you know, everybody against the Horsemen. You know, you had Jimmy Valiant, like I said, my favorite. Him and Paul Jones, they feuded for a good three, four years. Now, people would get tired of that, so they would kind of move on to other people. But then they'd come right back to fighting again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was they were, and people did not grow tired of it. Even in the WWF, they had Piper and Hogan. They feuded for a few years, right? Then and then Piper turned face. Andre and Hogan that went on for a couple of years, and now it, it's almost like they feud. And then all of a sudden they'll have them team together. I didn't know having feud again. I didn't know having team together. I didn't know having feud again. And people got tired, so tired of seeing John Cena and Randy Orton at battle at pay per views for the world title. They started booing them. They're like, "We don't. We've seen this. We don't want to see it anymore." Right. And Edge, John Cena, because they they you need to have a reason for every match should have a reason for that match. If you ask me. And just throwing two people together at a pay-per-view just does not always work. I don't care who they are. You know, I understand if it's a tournament and that's the way the tournament fell. But, you know, even right now as I'm talking with you, Kofi and Xavier are outside the ring talking to uh, MVP's crew, the Hurt Project. Right. I mean, and I have the volume turned down all the way because of the, you know, for the sake of the podcast. But I'm going to guess they're going to be feuding over some tag team titles. That makes sense. You have the belts. I want the belts. Or how about you cost me a title shot? Now I'm going to come after you for revenge. 
you know, or well, you're the, the number one contender. I want to beat you so I can be the number one contender. The thing you're seeing on the screen right now that's different than the the real product are that we've complained about. Both tag teams are wearing matching gear. So you see uh, the New Day has the... Yeah, the blue and the yellow and... Yeah. Outfits and the Hurt Business have the black and gold. And you you see that they match, which shows that they're an actual tag team. team. They're actual teams. And, that, and that, they need more of that. But... But going getting back, we'll get back to the pay-per-view, the reason why they had this match, and this is why everybody wanted to see it, is because Jake first, when he turned heel at their wedding by, you know, putting a snake in a box, and here you go, here's my gift for you. <laughs> and they open up, ah, you know, and there's a snake. And then the Undertaker comes in there too, and and he and Jake are just, just paired up their wedding, which apparently right. was like the most watched SummerSlam ever because of a wedding. That uh, seeing a wedding was not going to make me watch a SummerSlam, and I didn't watch that one live. But anyway, then they had the snake bite Randy. Oh, you know now that's a reason to have a match. You you literally had your snake bite me, dude. Right. I, I, that is a reason, and that made you tune in. You're going, oh yeah, this is going to be a good match because it's a grudge match, it's a revenge match, and. I'd, I'd be amiss if I forgot to mention the promo that Jake gave at, before this match. Uh, to me, is one of the ones that I think I'm not going to say it's like the greatest, but it definitely made me pop because he started throwing some Pink Floyd in there at the very beginning. He said, um, "Cold as a razor blade, tight as a tourniquet, like the skin on a dying man." You know, it, that's from Pink Floyd. Um, one of my turns off the wall album. And I heard that. I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, because with Jake, I mean, he would draw you in just with that. And he did it here. And really, he was just quoting lyrics, but just the way he did it, he got you in. And the match itself was pretty brutal. Um, I will say I didn't, I didn't really care for how it ended because I thought that was, that was kind of weak sauce. Why didn't anybody else? You know, Jake's going for the DDT. Randy, all of a sudden, boom, runs him into the corner, hurts his ribs, elbow drop, one, two, three. And I thought that was kind of weak sauce. And, and I'm different because of the the actions that occurred on that Saturday. It needed to be a violent buzzsaw beating. And the only thing you could have changed was maybe Savage lost his mind and got DQ'd trying to seek revenge. Maybe. And I think, well, he didn't try to get DQ'd. Yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe he could have done that, but he got the one, two, three, which is kind of a way of getting revenge. Um, but then he went out, tried to get the belt, tried to get the chair, and threw it in there, and then Jake DDT'd him. And well, then, he, then he grabbed him, and he DDT'd him again. And 
Then Elizabeth comes out, and this is when it gets brutal. And this, to me, was one of them situations to where the actions that Jake was doing, there was no doubt he was a bad guy. And he was like the epitome of evil at this moment. I don't think if there was a vote at this time, I don't think there was any other wrestler in the business that would have been voted the most hated, like the most hated heel, obviously, but the most hated it wouldn't have even been close because then Elizabeth comes in there. He DDTs Randy again, and then he slaps Elizabeth, and he's like, bag, bag. I mean, it was like a torture scene out of a movie. I mean, it really oh. was. But that, that showed how evil his character was. Again, something that's different. Would they ever let someone go to that depth now? I... They've tried with Bray Wyatt, but they just won't let him loose. I think Bray Wyatt could. I, I uh, Alistair Black maybe, but I don't know if Alistair Black. I don't know how much he's going to be doing with the WWE going forward anyway. But we'll cover that later. Yeah, because there's some real world stuff that's been going on with the WWE. But that was just he had you convinced. I mean, he was not a good guy. He did not want to be cheered. He was going to go in there, and he was going to beat people because he was a snake. He wasn't a garter snake. He was a cobra. He was an asp. He was an adder. He was not nice. And the way Randy sold, I mean, Randy just looked helpless. And then the way Elizabeth acted during that, you, know, you got to give her credit too. I mean, you just and, felt sorry for them. And this, this feud – really could have went on for months and it it really didn't uh, honestly this was the blow off match and then Jake the Snake went on to feud with the Undertaker at Wrestlemania and then he left and then he left and went to WCW and that was kind of the end uh, of his his main run with the WWF, you saw him come back in 96, but he was way different by then. And his run with WCW lasted for what? Two matches. One of which was the coal miners glove match. With Sting. Yeah. Where he, he also had a little bitty snake and he, the snake was supposed to bite him on his cheek, but it, it kept dropping off. So he kept having to put the snake back on his cheek. It, that one, that was bad. Yeah, his WCW run could have been rebooked, but it, it's hard to say if he had already gotten into the substance abuse he had. issue. Yeah, Vic uh, Foley actually talks about in his first book how Jake no-showed something and then something else happened, and he was with the company about a week or two after the coal miners glove match. And it was his... You know, his demons, you know, to quote Jim Ross, I mean, he had his demons that he just couldn't control at the time, and they got the better of him. But this, if you change the card, you extend this match where it's 20, 25 minutes, and maybe you get rid of the tag team match with the Repo Man, Ted DiBiase, El Matador, and Virgil. Well... This match, 
it's listed as being six minutes and 25 seconds. I'd say there was another 15 minutes of just a brutal beatdown after the match. Because, I mean, it was like a just a torture scene. I, I think it went 15 total. Was it 15 total? But this was, given the talent of the two wrestlers and, and the heel-face dynamic, you could have went much longer than they did and really really had a a quality match. I don't think they, for the purpose of this, I don't think they were necessarily going for match quality. They were going to establish just how bad of a guy Jake was. And they, they actually did have one more confrontation that I know of. There may have been more, but one more after this, and that was actually in the Royal Rumble in January. And that was when Randy came out, and as soon as Jake saw it was Randy, of course, he slithered out of the ring because, you know, snake. And he hid, and Randy came in looking for him. But by that point, everybody was giving him a beatdown. Then Jake comes back in, starts beating on Randy. Well, then Randy threw him out, and then he jumped over the top rope to go after him. And it was one of the cases where he totally forgot, hey, you're not supposed to be eliminated yet. And he eliminated himself, but then they let him come back in. And Bobby Heenan's like, oh, wait a minute. Well, since, since nobody threw him out, um, yeah, yeah, that's why he's not eliminated. Nowadays, they won't do that. If somebody goes out, they're like, well, we guess, guess we better replan this because that's actually happened. But then after that, of course, that's when it was not long after that where he had to deal where he tried to hit Elizabeth with a chair and Undertaker wouldn't let him. And that's what started their fight at WrestleMania and Jake. You know, there's different stories about why he left or why they fired him, whoever. You know, we all know the truth is somewhere in the middle. And either way, he left. But, and I don't think, I mean, we'll get to the tag match a little bit later, but I don't think that 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 match should have been uh, taken off the card. But I do want to talk about the next match a little bit. And that would be the British Bulldog, and the Warlord, which is not the only time they fought at a pay-per-view. In fact, I want to say this is the year that they had a match against each other at every single pay-per-view in this year. And they were feuding over who was the stronger wrestler. Well... You know, I don't know. I don't, that'd be a hard one. The World Lord or the British Bulldog? Because the World Lord, I mean, he was he was pretty stout. The, the War Lord was pretty stout and uh, quite a big fan of the needle to to help him grow stouter. Well, but then again, so was the Bulldog. The the War Lord was once so jacked that they tried to inject him in his rear and couldn't get the needle in and they said he was full. (laughs) But again, clearly characters in this case, the British Bulldog, obviously who we know, but the, the warlord being a big power guy with Harvey Whiffleman, 
are Whippleman finishing moves, the Warlord being the full Nelson, Bulldog being the power running power slam. Something you don't see as much of today. Defined characters. And I liked the Warlord when he was in, well, he was still Mid-Atlantic at the time. But when he first came in with Baby Doll, and he actually had the Road Warrior Hawk haircut, you know, like the double thin mohawk. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he actually had that kind of haircut, but I mean, he was jacked to the gills then. Big Bubba, Big Bubba Rogers, you know, slapped him beside his head with a roll of quarters and knocked him out. And it was like it ended his push, but then he and Barbarian showed up in WWF anyway. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be a great team. <laughs> I think they should have got a better run. But anyway, I digress. Before I get too much off the subject, and some of the notes I actually took on this one, and a lot of power moves. Um, Harvey Whippleman lighting up his cigar Right there by the side of the ring, I'm like, yeah, you couldn't do that nowadays. They throw you a fine real quick for smoking indoors. Heenan actually gave the no. Heenan was on commentary, right? He had, he actually gave the bulldog props, and which you know as he should because that's how you make the match better is when you're saying okay, both these particular wrestlers are good. You don't want to say oh well this guy you know he's just a scrub. Well then. That means that the other guy is just fighting a scrub, and that's all he's beating is a scrub. So, but yeah, he put him over, and then at one point he said that the bulldog had hair like Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> 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 yeah, because the bulldog had those kind of beaded dreads at the time. He he had very long hair. Is the the easiest way to to say it. Yeah, but both uh, in this match, both finishing moves were protected. And again, something we both complain about on other shows. Bulldog wins with a crucifix. Yes, and I actually thought that was good because you don't really see that move anymore. I think they we need to see more of it. We need to see an actual wrestling move instead of, you know, finish and move, 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 roll up, small package. Like, why do they even bother having finishing moves now? Well, the roll up is the most devastating move in wrestling. Hey, it has won the 24 7 title about 87 times. And, and that's probably being a conservative guess. Yes. But a, a crucifix, a small package, a victory roll, di- different things, a sunset flip. When was the last time you saw a sunset flip? A successful one? Yeah. Oh, it, it's been a while. I think when Ronnie Garvin beat Flair for the world title. And that was not just a sunset flip. It was a sunset flip off the top rope, which I thought was kind of excessive. With with the crucifix, you saw um, 
an actual wrestling hold, and it sort of pro- protected both guys. And different than 50-50 booking, leverage. A smaller guy can pin a bigger guy with proper leverage. Yes, use the bigger guy's size against him. Those are things we just don't see in today's matches, and it really stuck out watching this card. Actual wrestling moves. And... So my notes, I even said this was a surprisingly good match considering it was two power guys. Because usually the power guys, you don't see a lot of wrestling. You see a lot of power moves, you know, like your power slams, your body body slams, your running power slams, your a lot of suplexes, but not a move like a crucifix, which I I thought that ending was absolutely great. And because it'd be hard to see like the warlord being rolled up in a small package because, I mean, of his absolute size. And it'd be hard to get his legs. I mean, I don't think his legs would actually um, bend like that. I don't think his torso would have bent like that either. Right. But the crucifix makes sense. Victory roll, uh, I think the same thing. You'd have to, like you said, his torso probably wouldn't bend like that. Uh, And the fact that the warlord, as big as a guy as what he was, and a big, ferocious guy, he put over the Bulldog clean. Right there, center of the ring. But j- just a guy who did business. Yeah. He got it. He understood it. You do what's good for business. You don't just look after yourself and yourself only. The The next match... Eh. I'm just not sure how this made it on the card. Well, I'll tell you what, the one note I put for this match. Bathroom break match, not much value. But coincidentally enough, this was what my friend at church, this is what it said. He he said the match, he thought this one was surprisingly good. And I would have to guess, yeah, okay, I'll admit the match was better than what it should have been because there was not a build-up for it to be a tag team match. It was really one single feud. And think about how long this feud went on between DiBiase and Virgil. I mean, they weren't having matches all the time. They had their first couple of matches where Virgil won the million-dollar belt, but then they just didn't have any more match against each other except for occasionally they would run into each other. But that's what this is what this is all about, yeah. Was that was like the main feud. Something when did Barry Darso become the repo man? Oh man, when demolition disbanded after it would have been this this year. It it he would have been a newer character. So I want to say they disbanded the Road Warriors, beat them in a two-on-three match. Yes. I had to actually had to go to the... This may have been one of his very first matches as the Repo Man. Like a Saturday night's main event. I was never a fan of the Repo Man character. 
I, I thought it was goofy, and I thought it was a waste of Barry Darso's talent. I, the thing that did the Repo Man in was the short little black mask. I was it, just saying the exact same thing. It, it was the raccoon look for him that just makes you like. I've never I've seen Repo Man. I've never seen Repo Man in a raccoon mask. What was the show that was on? I don't think it's on anymore. It was a was it called Repo Man or Repo Man or you know talking about they actually it was in California they actually did real repossessions or they did reenactments of repossessions. Well, you got Lizard Lick Towing that was one. At this point, he wasn't as big as he used to be. He was not. It was a character, and it was different than what he was in Demolition. And, and I mean, well, like you said, that mask, that little bitty skinny black mask which made him look like he was in a 1930s the burglar. And he should have been out there wearing like the black and white striped shirt. Well, I mean, if you put him in purple, he'd look like the Hamburglar. (laughs) (laughs) Or Grimace. Yeah. So overall, (laughs) it was a change. And and I guess in 91 – what you have is the Repo Man was never going to be more than a mid-card talent. Yeah, because who wants to say, here's your new Intercontinental Champion, the Repo Man? So All you'd hear is cricket, cricket, cricket. But, I mean, would you rather be a Repo Man or a third bushwhacker? Oh, they should have left him as the sheep herders, but that's just me. <laughs> but that that was, I mean, you got Skinner, you had the Goon, MVP, Waylon Mercy. Uh, and you're talking about the original MVP. Right. Abe Knuckleball Short, Schwartz. And they uh, wonder mean, why business started going down. I mean, you have the Repo Man, no different than Duke the Dumpster Drossi. And, of course, then the other, his tag team partner in this, another character, was the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. But it was an actual character that was more or less believable. Some guy who just has, you know, a metric butt ton of cash, and he's just buying everything, and he's evil and diabolical. Everybody can get, everybody can believe that. <laughs> but uh, of the available matches in the in the pre-show or the dark matches, you have the Legion of Doom against the natural disasters for the tag team championship. You can't show that instead of this. 
Rick, Rick, Rick Flair, Roddy Piper. You can't show that instead Actually, of this. Think about the the match before the Legion of Doom against the Natural Disasters. Did you happen to see the match right before that? What they have listed? The Nasty Boys and the Bushwhackers. Well, no, this one was Legion of Doom against the Rockers. Yeah. That's a match I would have definitely watched. (laughs) But just, again, WWF devaluing the tag team championships. And did you buy Virgil as a – he got a fluke victory and won the million-dollar championship. They did that to keep the fans happy. I right. was anytime Virgil was going to be wrestling anybody, I'm like, oh, next. I uh, mean, I, he didn't I, have a great I, physique. He didn't really have that great of skills. They said he was a nice guy, but here lately, he's been known more as the guy who would jump in your in your photograph. He'll he'll do a photo bomb on you and then demand fifty dollars because you took a picture of him. I can't get over his barbershop types. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> El Matador, that's what you do to Tito Santana. But to their credit, they did pay for him to have actual Matador classes. So that was not just a work. That wasn't just something they made up. I mean, he actually became a, I guess, certified Matador. And now he teaches Spanish at a school in New Jersey, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, definitely, but not – again, you take an accomplished tag team champion, intercontinental champion, someone who made your list is top ten who could have defeated Hulk Hogan. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they wasted him. I – he used to drive me nuts how they didn't use Tito the way they should have. He should have always been in the hunt. If not for the world title, he should have been always in the hunt for the Intercontinental title because he was a former Intercontinental champion, and he was a former tag team champion. When they split up him and Rick Martel, I was thinking, well, that's a, a, that was a great team. At least they could have put him with somebody else, maybe. But he should have always been in the hunt for a championship. But no, they they relegated him to be, I don't want to say jobber for the stars because he wasn't always jobbing, but he was always the dark match. If you look at all those WrestleManias, Tito was always in either the dark match or the opening match. He and Shawn Michaels, actually, they were the opening match at WrestleMania 8, where the referee yeah. is a guy named Roger Ruff, and he's the guy that owns the Northern Wrestling Federation, but that's beside the point. And weren't they also the opening match at WrestleMania 9? Or was that Sean and somebody else? That was Sean and I want to say Tatanka. Ah, yes, Sean and Tatanka. And, yeah, I just, I didn't like what they did with Tito, but you know what? He's another one. He's a pro. He did what was called for. And it's not like it's not like, you know, people lost respect for him. No, and you got to give him credit as a wrestler. He had an exit plan. And, and you see that 
he's not one of those wrestlers like Virgil begging for ten dollars for a photo so he can go to Olive Garden. Cheeto Santana is a teacher, a basketball coach, and putting in some real work in his second career. Uh, I think Rosie is also a basketball coach. Yeah, he's a basketball coach, girls' basketball team. That's cool. I mean, I knew he was a football player back in the day because didn't he play on the same team as Tully Blanchard? Yes, he did. And that's a discussion in the future. Uh, I, I want to say that is West. It was West Texas State, which has become UTEP or something UTEP. like that. Yeah, UTEP. <laughs> Versus the good old Minnesota boys, which produce better talent. Wow. That is, that is going to be a good discussion. But overall, I think you're right. The bathroom match, the popcorn match, and if this were a little later in WWF history, this is where the women would be wrestling. And that would be just a shame also. How they booked the women up until the last couple of years what was a shame because they've had talented female wrestlers I was never a big fan of calling them the divas because to me that it took away from their talent uh, well the ones that were talented unfortunately they, they did bring in some who I don't think had a lot of talent they were just there because they look good in the lingerie catalog. Johnny Ace, I'm looking at you. Retribution is on the screen right now. Yeah. And ain't that a disaster of a storyline? Oh, that. Because it went from something they shouldn't have been having to begin with. So they made them kind of a faction, but. Mustafa Ali is the only one who anybody knows, and Mustafa Ali is great. I I like Mustafa Ali, but who are these other yahoos behind him? And speaking of being behind people, good, good lord, that dude is huge. Every time I see him, I'm thinking, man, they, the uh, you know AJ's bodyguard. Anyway. Hey. Um, but you, we, anyway, we were saying, um, but talking about Virgil and talking about Tito and talking about West Texas and against Minnesota, but going back to the card itself, you're right. This was a bathroom break match. It's a popcorn. Match. This was a calm down match before we get to the main event, which is Hogan trying to regain the title from the undertaker. And, one of the things I liked when The Undertaker did his entrance, and it's something that Steve Austin, I don't know if he picked up on it from this or if he was doing it on his own, The Undertaker didn't wear the belt, and it was the way he was carrying it. It was almost in a way like, you know, I'm going to carry it like this. You come and try to get it from me. Yeah, this belt, I know what it means, but 
I don't have to wear it around my waist to show you that I'm the champion. I will carry it just like this by my side. And it was something Steve Austin did later on during his run as champion. Well, Steve Austin was always the shoulder. But this version of The Undertaker, and you talk about 30 years of evolution, you... He didn't really talk at this point. He said the rest in peace. It would have been interesting if Paul Bearer carried the title. <clears throat> so the way he, he carried it out, kind of like a undertaker would drag a coffin, if that makes sense. And, well, sorry, I just had uh, Lena Dean, she actually hit me up with a message. Um, she was shooting a few matches, and she wanted to know if she could still share this. And I'm going to send her a message. Say, We're actually still recording right now, if you want to call in. Uh, well, we want to listen. But All right, anyway. I- as you're typing that, into the dulled crowd response for Hogan when he comes out. They were tired of Hogan. And, and that that's what was noticeable to me, that the crowd <clears throat> really didn't want him to win. Well, I think the people were growing tired of Hogan. They were getting tired of the 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 superhero act, if you want to put it like that. <clears throat> getting tired of the golden boy, Mr. All-America, you know, say your prayers, take your vitamins, brother. And after a while, it started seeming kind of contrived and kind of fake. And then we realized later on, yeah, it was very fake because Hogan definitely has some, you know, skeletons in his closet, and you Finally, you know, he's saying, stay away from drugs, and then he went back in the back and did drugs. And hold on. He took his vitamins. He just didn't say what kind. (laughs) Yeah. And he had somebody else carrying his vitamins for him through airports, you know, so that way he wouldn't get arrested. Hey, we all need a Brutus beefcake in our life. Sure. (laughs) But, but, (laughs) but you he listened to the crowd, and what would have been interesting, and I wonder if the buy rate would have been different, is hypothetically speaking, replace Hulk Hogan here with Sid Justice. Hmm. You're talking about against Taker? Against the Undertaker, replace Hulk Hogan here, and put Sid Justice, who was Sid Vicious, but as a good guy. Then you'd have the reunion at the skyscrapers. For WCW fans, yes, but for WWF fans, Sid Justice was getting a better crowd response than Hulk Hogan at this time. Which I thought was kind of amazing because I, I, 
I couldn't see Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, Sid Udy, Cypress Sid, whatever you want to call him. He always has the name Sid, though, so, except for when he was Lord Humongous. I could never see him as a face. To me, he was always great as a heel because he just had that mean look about him. Even when he tried to look nice, he looked, he looked mean. And maybe a super nice guy, too, except for when he's, you know, stabbing people or trying to hit him with squeegees. But, you know, he just – I can't see him as a face. And I, I was even thinking when they had him as a face in the WWF when he first went over there, and he was like the special referee at that SummerSlam. And then when he eventually more or less turned on Hogan at the Rumble, when he – Threw Hogan out, but he he didn't turn on him. But yeah, it wasn't a turn. He was just saying, you know, I can go for this title too. And then Hogan was the one who pulled him out. But then at the what Hogan got thrown out, people were cheering. Of course, when Sid got thrown out, you know, he was the last person that flared throughout more or less with Hogan's help for the title because. It would be hard-pressed to see Ric Flair just throwing Sid out by himself. To to get to that point, you, you have Hogan in this match, and, and really, they tell a story. Nothing Hogan was doing was affecting The Undertaker. Well, I also like the way the match started out, where it was... <laughs> It was Undertaker and Paul Bearer just kicking the crap out of Hogan before the bell rang. I, and they were just putting the boots to him. And this match, it unfortunately, this match looked a lot like the match they had at the Survivor Series. And with with the exception of a couple of adjustments here and there but they had one part where Hogan tried to pick up Taker for a slam and instead of putting his arm up over his shoulder like between his shoulder and his neck he put it under his arm where he's trying to pick him up like that and of course that leaves Undertaker just booming and he laid the arm across his back and I think why would y'all make it that obvious you know and well and then uh, go ahead. Clearly, Hulk Hogan's neck is bothering him. <laughs> sure, must be because, yeah, and especially since that was the same move that he had tried in the last match. And then, then Taker had that that weird face claw, you know, where he was grabbing like around his mouth. I mean, it, it wasn't the mandible claw. I mean, it was just he grabbed him in a like a chin claw. That's the only two matches I can ever remember. Not just seeing the Undertaker do that move, seeing anybody do that move. I was like, what is that kind of move? What is that? But it, this one, because it just showed up on the screen, this is a, a formulaic late 80s, early 90s Hogan match. Honestly, did you did you watch this match and not expect the Hogan comeback 
three punches, oh. big boot, and a leg drop, and he was magically going to win. Oh, he's always going to have that. Well, he's always going to have the the three punches, boot, and a leg drop, or at least the three punches and a boot. Whether he gets to the leg drop, you now that's another story. But this one, of course, had Jack Tunney sitting ringside because, you know, Jack Tunney was the president. We all know that. It wasn't this man. No, it was Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney was the run, one running things. And, but he was there to make sure no shenanigans took place during the match. And, of course, when Flair comes out there, you know, well, it's time for some, some shenanigans because that's what happens. Um, but this was also, I don't know if you want to call it a debut, but the first time they ever actually opened the urn. Right. And, and out of the, all the things that have been inside the urn, so far I think this was the only one that really made sense. Because we'd expect to see inside a funeral urn. Ashes. Now here's the big mystery, and I never thought about it until literally just now. Where'd the ashes come from? Uh, who knows? Okay, now that was a good move. I'm not gonna lie. But anyway, they uh, the the overall interference. You you have Ric Flair that comes out and throws the chair in, which is pretty much the same thing he did in the previous Survivor Series match. A a very cheesy way for Tunney to get knocked out. I literally just watched it the other day, and I don't remember how Tunney got knocked out. So Rick, Rick Flair gets into it with Hulk Hogan, and basically hits hits Hogan hits Flair in the back with the chair, and the force of the blow was so thunderous that Flair fell on top of Tunney and knocked them both out. That's right. Now somehow Tunney is knocked out on the floor from this man falling on top of him. Ric Flair pops up like he's got Popeye super spinach and grabs the the chair for Undertaker ran Hogan into and of course Hogan being immortal and having superpowers reverses it throws Undertaker into the chair and that's what starts the the urn sequence that finishes the match with the roll-up. I was going to say, because you know what wins matches. Roll-ups win matches. No, roll-ups are fruit roll-ups and belong in lunches. They should not occur in wrestling matches on a regular basis. Or you could just call it a schoolboy. Like, if I tried to do a roll-up in MMA class, I would get the um, get it beat out of me. Well, because a roll-up's not there to, like, win a fight. 
it's there to win a wrestling match. So if you were to see somebody do it in amateur wrestling, it could happen. A roll-up in – I've never seen a roll-up work in amateur wrestling. Not because it win matches. Because they've never tried it. Now, if they try it, I think it could work. I think you would get pinned attempting the roll-up. I think that Keith Lee is just that ridiculous strength. <clears throat> but the the roll-up, even for Hogan, take a roll-up with a man who's 320 pounds, which we can guess Keith Lee is close to. Braun Strowman is more than. And that's the listed weight for The Undertaker. There's no right. Yeah, about right. He's about six nine or six ten, legit. So there's no scenario where Super Hogan can hold a man that's six eleven or seven feet, whatever they build him at, hold him down for a three count. Shouldn't have, but the ashes in his face had him distracted. You know, because stuff thrown in the eyes, you know, means that you can't lift your shoulders off the mat. Where it's something like an Oklahoma roll would have been, not that Hogan can pull it off, but no, an alternative to the roll-up. I don't like the way this match finished. It, it's not believable to me. But being what we got, this was the perfect fluky setup to make the Royal Rumble what it was. Yes, and maybe one thing they may have done different about this match was after he incapacitated the Undertaker, the ashes to the face, which Jack Tuddy saw and throw the ashes in his face, then he closed lines and leg drop one, two, three, instead of the roll up, which, like you pointed out, didn't seem as believable. See, you just saw a roll up on television where someone used the legs to bring leverage to make a roll up believable. I literally had my head turned as it happened, and I just looked up and there was, bro, like on the mat, like he got pinned, and I see Mustafa Ali and all them celebrating, and AJ Styles is kicking the rope, and and Big Dude is on the outside, and and here comes Nikki Cross, uh, the wee Scottish lassie. So, I, I don't know how you're ahead of me. We're watching the same thing. It always happens. But just the the ending of the match to be desired. Maybe if you're Tunny and you're watching, stop the match and call for the disqualification right away. Which is probably what he should have done, but what fun would that be? 
No, the the whole point was to get to get Hogan the title because you make all the fans happy. Hogan poses, and then you have the Royal Rumble set up, <coughs> which you can't deny this this event in historically speaking with the one 1. 1.0 buy rate and everything they say it's a failure but its whole purpose was to set up the Royal Rumble it was and I know they were trying to, to see okay well people pay for a uh, pay-per-view on a Tuesday and like I put it at the beginning this was right after Thanksgiving which means it was also right after Black Friday and just a few weeks before Christmas. People aren't going to be paying for pay-per-views while they're spending their money on other things, on Christmas gifts, on Hanukkah gifts, on things like that. Well, it, it's, it's an unplanned pay-per-view. And you, you have the Survivor Series that Wednesday. And then you turn around, it's six days later. Yeah, and they announced it that (laughs) at the Survivor Series, that's what Jack Tony said. Yeah, and this Tuesday in Texas, we're going to have this rematch. And that's where the name came from, this Tuesday in Texas. So considering what your promotional expense, you got what? If you got the Survivor Series, you were aware of it. If you watched Saturday or Sunday, you were aware of it. Monday night was, what, primetime back then? Um, they were still doing it, yeah. So it wasn't, <clears throat> I mean, they had a show, but not what we know of today. So well, how no, much after- well, not only that, but that's that that Saturday and Sunday, that weekend between Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas would have been kind of lumped in with Thanksgiving. As you know, Thanksgiving gets turned into like a four-day weekend. People are traveling. People's schedules change during that right. time. They don't, you know, so some people may not even know about it. They would have said, oh, the pay-per-view, oh, you mean Survivor Series. Now this other one, you know, this one that happened in Texas. And I was like, do what? And you know, but I think there's there was other reasons why it failed in their eyes besides it being on a Tuesday, which I don't think a Tuesday is a good night to have a pay per view anyway. You know, so that may have had something to do with it because most people probably aren't gonna buy a pay per view on a Tuesday, like a normal Tuesday. But but the card itself, those five matches, including the bathroom break match, were good matches. Like I said at the beginning, yeah. I wouldn't change anything really. I mean, it's a couple of tweaks in the matches themselves maybe, but not the overall card. No, and I would have changed the match matches that were put on the pay-per-view. There may have been a couple of the other ones I would have uh, put on, 
But one interesting thing I noticed when I was looking at the rest of the undercard that were all dark matches, notice that match number two says Sir Charles. And I was like, who's Sir Charles? And I just hover over it. It's Charles Wright. This must yeah. have been, yeah, this must have been when they finally killed off Papa Shango character, but before, what was the next one? That, no, no, he was still Papa Shango. Because he was still he was Papa Shango at WrestleMania eight, which was after this. Right. So maybe they were experimenting it, with something because they realized that the Papa Shango character was kinda stupid. No, this was before Papa Shango. No, this was because he hypnotized the ultimate warrior back in the summer. And remember Ultimate Warrior had like the blood or whatever coming from his head? And but then the, the, ultimate, the ultimate warrior is gone. He left. Ultimate warrior left at SummerSlam. So Papa Shango did all that stuff to him before that. So maybe there's a reason this was a dark match where they didn't want to have it and show. Okay, we're trying this new character, and um, maybe it's something that I'll have to ask so, Joe Pritchard. Well, for that one. Papa Shango comes out. He's around at WrestleMania 8. And right. the, ultimate, the Ultimate Warrior feud started after that. So that would have been 92. No, it didn't, it didn't start then, did it? And because Warrior was feuding with... Uh, he was teaming with Hogan. And he started a feud with Jake the Snake... And should have fought the Undertaker, or was training to fight the Undertaker. Oh, you're right. I just looked it up. For some reason, I was thinking that Papa Shango started in 91. You're right. It was 92. I definitely stand corrected. Um, But I remember watching him, Charles Wright, when he was in, I think, I thought it was global, but I could be wrong about that. Um, But he was uh, the Soul Taker. Right. And, and I thought I, that was a cool gimmick. And I saw that in Memphis. It, yeah, the scene there is Memphis. So I don't know why I thought it was global. But either way, it was, a, it was a cool gimmick. I liked it. So that was The Godfather before The Godfather started. Oh, way before The Godfather. But, again, you're in the time period where everyone has a gimmick and they give them some voodoo priest and it it could have been a good gimmick, but it was just booked so bad. Uh, yeah. But, Cause anyway. <laughs> you remember, so. <laughs> to change that, because you brought it up, the voodoo, um, the voodoo guy from Police Academy that did all the chants. Yama 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 yama. <laughs> that was crazy. Fools to think they could rest the great Jabu. Yeah, I've seen, I've, I've seen that a few times. 
So that's going to be on our sister podcast, um, the the video reviews on YouTube. Uh, maybe. She's actually, because she's extremely busy with school right now, and so she doesn't have as much time to devote to the channel, so she may have to put the entire channel on hiatus for a while. But, yeah. Which is unfortunate, yeah. but, but she does have one in the, the hopper right now. She's finishing up. That was for the Lost Boys, and that one will be hopefully posted soon, and when it is, I'll let everybody know, and then I will probably let everybody on here know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so... But yeah, she's because uh, I've actually been trying to keep that separate. But at the same time, okay, I'll just go ahead and say, my daughter has her own channel on YouTube where she reviews movies, specifically movies from the '80s. And she does basically a synopsis of the movie, and she throws in her own comments. And and I'm not just saying it's because she's my daughter, but she is absolutely hilarious. Oh my lord, Alexa, Alexa Bliss is just giving a beat down to Nikki Cross right now. Stop spoiling Raw. Oh my bad, has... my bad, dude. I keep forgetting. I'm just, a, I'm just, just barely ahead of you. I'm sorry. But she's way anyway, more talented than we are. As far as editing, yes, and she does her videos, and that's why she is uh, majoring in. Uh, motion pictures or film because she's already very good at it. Some of the stuff is going to be stuff that she already knows. But she enjoys the class, but she is so busy with her classes right now, it's hard for her to devote time to her video channel. And she also wants to, to be where it's a labor of love and not where she feels it's a responsibility and an obligation, like it's a job. And so it was actually taking the enjoyment out of it some. So, and she's just feeling a lot of pressure because everybody's throwing requests at her left and right. You know, so we've kind of backed off on her as far as that goes. So we're just kind of letting her do it whenever she feels like it so she doesn't have to be on a schedule with it, and she's not going to pay for it anyway. So she just does it because she likes it. So, But anyway, back to the Armchair Booking channel. By the way, we also have a YouTube channel. So far, I only have one video, and that was actually taken from the Northern Wrestling Federation show a couple weeks ago in Minor, but I got the last four of the Battle Royal they had there. But just go to YouTube, look up Armchair Booking, and you should be able to find it. And you can also find it with this, the Armchair Booking podcast at gmail.com email address because it's actually under that same email. Uh, but I haven't really plugged it so much because there's only one thing there right now, and it's just a video. Maybe in the future, Kyle, we could do video podcasts. Uh, if I, you've looked in the mirror like I have recently, maybe we should put that off for a little while. I know that's exactly why we haven't done that. <laughs> but we'll so, see. Uh, I'm also I am thinking because I have been uh, offered for you know uh, potential interviews. I don't know if that would be part of the Monday shows or if that would be something we or I, if you don't have time, to do separate because I know you and I both are very busy. And I know your schedule is actually a lot busier than mine because I know, I know your drive and I know, you know, to, like your work drive, and I know your, uh, your Muay Thai and your MMA uh, schedule. So I don't want to put any more burden on you than absolutely necessary, if that makes any sense. 
Well, that's an interesting discussion in itself. I every aspiring wrestler should have to take some sort of martial arts class. I think it would help. So, I think if you spar and get into legitimate combat, it makes your performance art more appealing. And, well, Kyle, we only have about three and a half minutes left before we have a hard stop. And what I mean by that is, yeah, they're just going to cut us off. Uh, They'll say, yeah, your time's up. So, next week, do you remember what we're doing? I know we're due for a top ten list, but we I'm... we are, but we swerved because we we had to make some adjustments for some other schedules um, previously, partly because of Veterans Day, and we're kind of making up for that. Uh, coming up soon, in fact, on the twenty second is the uh, pay per view for Survivor Series. It happens to mark the thirty year anniversary of The Undertaker debuting in the WWF and they're saying this is going to be his last uh, go. I don't know if they're saying he's going to have a match or it may be his last appearance in the WWE ring but it's 30 years to the day so it makes sense. So we're going to be discussing Survivor Series 1990. Yep, the debut of not just The Undertaker but the egg, and what was inside the egg? The gobbledygooker. Yes. And, and who booked that? It wasn't me. So <laughs> I got I, I got a dream match of the red rooster versus the gobbledygooker, and the loser ends up on my plate for Thanksgiving. And you know, sadly, you know who was playing the part of the gobbledygooker at Survivor Series 1990, don't you? It was Hector Guerrero. Yeah, it was Hector Guerrero. And, of course, Terry Taylor being the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor is a very accomplished wrestler. And essentially to see them outside of their gimmicks have a match, I think would be fantastic. You know, but either way, I mean, I think I'd rather focus more on the Undertaker, and then some of the other matches, of course, that were on the card. Uh, but, and as far as other goings goings on in the WWE, uh, as we have, you know, about a minute and a half left, I'm not going to get too much into political discussions, but the whole thing with a certain wrestler being released from the WWE not just because of something that she posted on Twitter, but apparently she had her own streaming accounts. I don't know. Have you heard very much about that, Kyle? More on her streaming account than she did getting paid for by WWE. So I would have made the choice she made too. Yes, but I have a feeling, and I texted someone else today we were talking about this. I have a very good feeling or a very bad feeling, or I just have a feeling that this is going to end up going national. It's not going to be over anytime soon because it's a, almost like a labor issue that certain politicians are actually looking at pretty hard as they, and should. As they should, because we discussed this a little bit last week. Um, 
and you know, but but we'll see how things go. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But, Kyle, my friend, until next week, I'll see you, dude. Adios.